where it started. Hello, this is Paul. This is Laura. I'm Dave. And I'm Alton. You are listening to Derringer Discoveries. Where we take you, the listener, on an adventure. A music adventure. Prince Rogers Nelson was born on June 7, 1958, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. As a child, he preferred to be called Skippy. As an adult, he sometimes went by the pseudonyms Joey Coco, The Kid, Christopher Tracy, and Jamie Starr. Jamie Starr is a thief. People also referred to him as the purple one, an unpronounceable symbol, the artist, the artist formerly known as Prince, but ultimately, most people just knew him as Prince. Prince was an American singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist, and one of the most talented musicians of his generation. Prince was a prolific songwriter, producing 42 studio albums and four soundtrack albums, 39 of which were released while he was alive. 51 of his songs landed on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and five hit number one in the USA. Guys, Prince has sold over 120 million albums worldwide. And I think part of the reason he has such a huge fan base is that his music appeals to fans of funk, R&B, rock, new wave, pop, jazz, and hip hop. Not only did Prince write music for himself, but he also wrote huge hits for other artists, such as Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. It's been seven hours and 15 days since you took your love away. Nothing Compares to You spent four weeks at the top of Billboard's Hot 100 chart in 1990. The video for the single received heavy rotation on MTV, which undoubtedly helped with the song's popularity. He also wrote Manic Monday for the Bangles. He did so under the pseudonym Christopher, which was a character he played in the movie Under a Cherry Moon. Just another Manic Monday. Wish it was manic Monday peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on April 19, 1986, right behind Prince and the Revolution single, Kiss. Prince also launched the careers of many popular bands, namely 94 East, The Family, Sheila E., Vanity Six, which would later become known as Apollonia Six, and Morris Day and the Time. Yeah, Morris Day and the Time produced some really popular dance hits off their 1984 album, Ice Cream Castle. They sure did, Laura. Jungle Love reached number 20 on Billboard's Hot 100 chart, and the song The Bird reached number 36. I'm sure it didn't hurt that these songs appeared in the movie Purple Rain. Before we dive further into the episode, do we have any listener feedback? Derringer Discoveries listener feedback. Laura, yes we do. 
But I am going to send our listeners to our website at DerringerDiscoveries.com where you will find all of our listener feedback. And we want our listeners to go to the website because while you're there, you can sign up. If you have not already, you can sign up for our free Derringer Discoveries newsletter. And I'll give one last plug here. This is the best way for you listeners to let us know that you're out there and you're listening. You can dance if you want to. Team Derringer, Prince's Estate has recently released the album Prince and the Revolution live. This is a 2022 remastering of their March 30th, 1985 concert at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York. Hello, Syracuse and the world. The material was originally released on VHS in 1985. My name is Prince. And I've come to play with you. It was re-released on DVD as part of a 2017 deluxe edition of Purple Rain. And then, are you ready for this, listeners? It was released once again in May of 2020 in digital form. And now, they are releasing it yet again. This time, as Prince and the Revolution Live. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Yeah, so Team Derringer, I guess my question is, when is enough really too much? I'm with you, Alton. I'm noticing that artists' estates continue to release music after their deaths, which is definitely true in Prince's case. After all, he has a complete vault of unreleased music. Yeah, but Laura, let me ask you this. Prince was such a perfectionist. Don't you think that during his lifetime, if he thought a song was worthy, that he would have gone ahead and released it? I mean, he he really did release almost 40 studio albums while he was alive. You would think that a lot of that music could have found a place on one of those albums. Yeah, but a lot of other artists' estates release music posthumously. Look at what's happening with Tom Petty's estate. And Jimi Hendrix's estate has been doing it for years. Yeah, Dave, and let's not forget David Bowie. He's giving it to us, too, or his estate is giving it to us. But you ready for this, listeners? I don't think it's a good idea, and I'll tell you why. If the artist thought it was good music, they would have released it while they were alive. When it comes out after their death, I worry that most of the time it's subpar material. It was not intended for us to listen to. Yeah, I agree, Paul. It almost comes across as a money grab. Yeah, you can hear the cash registers. How about you, Laura? What do you think? I'm going to disagree with you guys. I actually think it is a good idea. And I think that because it's just part of the legacy. And especially with Prince, part of his appeal, to me at least, is kind of this air of mystery that surrounded him. But isn't that what being an international man of mystery is all about? Who knows what he thought about that music? So I think it's a great idea to release it. I'm going to take the other stance here. I, I really think that unless they find a, a truly undiscovered gem or a phenomenal demo track, I'm really not a fan of just digging through these subpar songs. And I really, or to quote Paul, I really, really, really dislike. <laughs> that's three reallys, Alton. That's right. Show you how much I really dislike <laughs> Artist Estates just repackaging songs in different orders and maybe putting it on an album with one or two other unreleased tracks and then re-releasing it. I, you know, especially now that we have streaming capabilities they could certainly put out this unreleased gem for everybody on spotify for instance so dave who do you agree with 
I'm counting on you, Dave. I agree with Laura, 100%. Avid fans can always choose whether to buy or listen to the uh, posthumously released music. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. If you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. But for the Avid fans, why not let it be available and let them sort through it if they're big fans? Well, this is interesting. We have Laura and Dave on one side, and we have Alton and Paul on the other side of the issue. Once again, it's a tie, but we don't have anyone to call this time. So team, I've listened to this new album. It's got a lot of the hits from 1999 and Purple Rain, from which I'm really a fan. I thought those were two fantastic albums. But I've got to tell you, the crowd noise in this album is really distracting. It's almost like they dropped a microphone out in the crowd, and it makes the music hard to hear. So I guess I'm not a fan of live albums in general. How about you all? Alton, I'm with you. I'm not a fan of live albums. I can only think of a handful that I enjoy. I prefer a good studio quality recording, and that's what I like to listen to. What do you think, Laura? So I am a fan of live albums, and here's why. I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of concerts in my lifetime, but you know, for some fans, it's not accessible because of travel time or expense or whatever reason. And so if through a live album, they can get a little bit of that experience, then then why not? I think it's a great idea. That's a good point. Thank you. I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're making good points here. <laughs> so Dave, how about you? I think live albums are a great idea, especially if you happen to attend that specific concert. That would be a great memento of that concert. We got a, we've got another tie going on, though, guys. Are we going to have to hire a fifth Derringer? Where's John B. Derringer <laughs> when we need him? Yeah, exactly. Bring him back. Calling John B. Derringer. <laughs> All right, Paul. So is there a live album you like? All right. Well, if I had to pick one, it would be Paul McCartney's Wings Over America. And I'll tell you why in two sentences. One... It has a fantastic live version of Maybe I'm Amazed, which is actually the hit version. The studio recording of it was not a hit. Maybe I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. Or maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. And then the second reason I love the album is because it did give us our first glimpse into Paul McCartney covering the Beatles. So for me, that album is a landmark live album. Laura, I think it's back to you, actually. What do you think? My favorite live album is Cheap Trick's Live at Budokan. I want you to want me. Came out in 1979, and that was a time when I was really starting to become an avid fan of all kinds of music. So it brings back a lot of really great memories for me. And my favorite track from that album has got to be Ain't That a Shame, a cover of an old Fats Domino tune. Nineteen seventy-nine. You were in nursery school. Thank you, Alton. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you knew the year of your album. I didn't know the year of Wings Over America. Dave, is that seventy-six? Nineteen seventy-six. I think you're about right. Yeah. Dave, what's your favorite live album? Led Zeppelin. The song remains the same. Double record set, almost 100 minutes of Led Zeppelin at their finest, starting off with rock and roll, finishing up with Whole lot of Love. (music) 
And in between, you get a 27-minute version encompassing all of side two of Dazed and Confused. And then on side three, you get 11 minutes of Stairway to Heaven with Robert Plant asking the audience, does anybody remember laughter? Is that what he asked the audience? Does anybody remember laughter? You've never heard the album before? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've heard the song remains the same. I just always stuck to the studio version of Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) Alton, what's your favorite live album? Well, I'm going to come out of left field, and I'm going to have to go with Dishwalla's album called Live, Greetings from the Flow State, and that was from 2003. Hold on, i got to look them up on Spotify. I don't know if I know much about Dishwalla. Raise your hands, people. Do you know Dishwalla? Is Alton giving us someone from left field? I think so, yes. Counting blue cars, Paul. You beat me to it, but you're right, Dave. Spot on. You know, in my opinion, the recording quality of this album is probably the best of any live album that I've heard, except for maybe Bob Seger's Live Bullet, but I'm going to stick with my choice of Dishwalla. So Alton is not a fan of live albums either, but interesting, he picked two. (laughs) I think he is a fan of live albums. That's what I think. Yes. Now we get to pick a second one. How about if they're really well recorded? I think that that's what does it for me. (laughs) All right. I'll give that to you, Alton. (laughs) Alton, you're not helping our team any by picking two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laura raised such good points earlier. What you should have said is that I can't think of a live album that I like. (laughs) She's very persuasive. Well, gang, since we're choosing favorite songs, and we did start this episode talking about Prince. Oh, we were? Were we talking about Prince, Alton? Who? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, we were. It kind of went off on a tangent, didn't we? But uh, listen, let's go ahead and let's pick our favorite songs by Prince and whether or not you think Prince jumped the shark and subsequently crossed the Rubicon. Crossing the Rubicon is reaching the point of no return. Laura, ladies first. My favorite song, it's actually a toss-up between two songs. The first one is You Got the Look. And the second one is Seven. Love both of those songs. Did Prince jump the shark? Absolutely not. You know what's cool about uh, your song choice there, Laura? You got the look. Sheena Easton was on that song, and it sang on it, Yeah. but her effort was uncredited. The drums on that song are phenomenal. Yeah, that was Sheila E. playing the drums, right? Yep. Yeah, so he, he had some star power there with him. Well, they all hung out together. It was like one big party they were having. And that's why we had all these names that we mentioned that associated with Prince. He basically was the center of this largest party I've ever seen. From Minneapolis, people. All right. Well, I'm up next, guys. And 
I have to tell you, don't send me hate mail. But yes, Prince jumped the shark. Yeah, that's right. Now, he started off with 1999, which is good. And I do think Purple Rain album is largely a good album. And my favorite song is from the Purple Rain album, When Doves Cry. This is what it sounds like. But after that, people, I think you'll have to admit, if you go through your collection, are you really listening to anything that he did after Purple Rain? And I'd be willing to bet largely the answer is no. So yes, he jumped the shark. And no, I just didn't listen to much after Purple Rain. Dave, I know that Prince was not your cup of tea either. At least he kind of came along after you. What is your favorite song, Dave? And did he jump the shark? My favorite song by Prince is Purple Rain. I actually saw Prince do a halftime show at Super Bowl 41. It was raining the whole game and all through halftime, and they had the purple spotlights. And when he did Purple Rain, it was Purple Rain coming down. And so that is my favorite song. I never meant to call you I don't think he really jumped shark because I can see why people liked him. I never meant to call you not really my kind of music, I guess, in a way, but I like some of his songs. And I would say that he did not jump the shark. Alton, what's your favorite Prince song? And do you think he jumped the shark? My favorite Prince song, and you have to consider when this came out, the album was 1999. However, the year was, what, 1982? So we were all of a certain age about the time we were able to hit dance clubs and party pretty heavily. So my favorite song is DMSR. Because every time that song would play at the dance club, it would pack the floor. Are uh, you going to tell our listeners what DMSR stands for? Uh, no, we'll just leave that right where it is. <laughs> People can look it up if they're interested. That's right. <laughs> In my opinion, Prince reached his pinnacle with 1999 and Purple Rain. Those two albums kind of set the bar for everything that he had done, and I honestly don't think he ever reached that level of popularity again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do I think he jumped the shark? I really don't. I think he may have come close a few times, but, uh, you know, he did put out an awful lot of music, and his hits were phenomenal, but not all the songs that he was putting on albums were phenomenal, in my opinion. But I guess you could say that about just about any band out there. The man is just so talented, I would be hard-pressed to say he jumped the shark. And team, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony where George Harrison was being inducted posthumously. Prince, who was there for his induction as well, played the lead to George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. He was on stage with Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, Steve Winwood, and Donnie Harrison, George Harrison's son. If you haven't seen the video, I highly recommend that you check it out. Yeah, I, 
I thought it was fantastic. In fact, I think a lot of what Prince has done is kept his name relevant by making appearances such as that. And as we talked about, the Super Bowl halftime show was phenomenal. So to answer the second part of the question, even though I do think he jumped the shark, I don't think he crossed the Rubicon. I do think he managed to stay relevant in many ways. And of course, I think he was always identifiable by his sound. Those drums, his singing, his guitar playing, Prince created and was the center of a unique sound. Dave? I'll agree with you, Paul. Prince was a great musician, a great guitar player, and he could really sing, and he could write, he produced, play just about all the instruments if he wanted to. He was a very unique individual, and he left a great legacy of music behind. That's why we're doing this episode. That's right. And I tell you, Dave, the points that you made were spot on. And not only was he a phenomenal musician and songwriter, he was a phenomenal entertainer. As a matter of fact, the entertaining that he did with his dance moves and the half splits and jumping around the stage, in my opinion, is kind of what led to his death. He, he was in a lot of pain as he was getting on up in years and had gotten, I guess, hooked on painkillers. And that's when he died. Uh, that's what he died of is the painkillers. He died of an accidental fentanyl overdose in April of 2016. And uh, in my opinion, he went away too soon. Yeah, very sad and very true, Alton. But his legacy lives on in the music that he left behind. Not to mention all the music he's left in his vault. I'm sure we'll be hearing it for years to come. That's right. I just hope that there are some real undiscovered gems in the vault. Yes, indeed. And that pretty much wraps up this episode. So, listeners. Thank you for a funky time. Whoa, whoa. Let's try this again. Thank you for listening to Derringer Discoveries. We hope you have enjoyed what you've heard. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And at our website. You can direct link to this episode's show notes by typing www.darinterdiscoveries.com forward slash 036. Until next time, this is Alton. This is Laura. This is Paul. And this is Dave. And you've been listening to Derringer Discoveries. In your sister's room. John B. Derringer speaking.